So that's another reason not to Brexit, is what you're saying. Welcome to Fraculous, a technology podcast for humans. Episode 322, Roaming Data, Computers on the Telly, and Mapping on iOS. Do you want to start then? You're going abroad. Yeah, I want to bring up something straight away. I'm looking at you, David. Uh, You, because I'm off on holiday in two weeks' time to the US of A. Very exciting. I caught a Periscope broadcast from you the other week yourself when you were in the US of A, and you were on a boat coming back from Alcatraz. Yes, I was. Uh, which is exactly what I'm going to be doing in California. And some, just today, I suddenly thought, crikey, I have Vodafone and Euro Traveller passport, and I can roam in, in Europe for, I think it's £2, or is it £3 a day? £3 a day at the moment. It used to be £2. What's the data issues like at the moment? And I have a great story to tell you if you want to hear it about how I got data last time in, in America. Basically, I've got three weeks on the road in America, uh, how much is it going to cost me to roam? Well, it's it's timely that you should mention that, Jeff, in a way. Traditionally, you'd have had to spend in the USA with Vodafone, if that's who you're with, £5 a day for your World Traveller Plus, which gives you access to your UK bundle. I'm there for 21 days. That's £125. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, gosh. Um, I, I'm not saying it's um, a great deal. I'm not saying it works well for you. If you're there for a few days, then, you know, it's kind of okay. But if you're there for a longer period of time, then you want another solution. Do you want to know what you want to do, Jeff? I feel like you're going to tell me, Will. You want to get a a three sim. So this, well, I'm instantly going to go back to the story of when I was last in America. And that's when I had my iPad, which had a sim card slot in it. And now I have an iPad. I've got a new iPad, which is wife only. So I've got a non-data Wipad. But interestingly, when I was over there before, I rocked up to a Verizon store and they went, no, mate, we can't help you out because uh, Verizon, what's the technology that they use? They don't use SIM cards, do they? They use something else. I feel like David's going to chip in here and tell me what Verizon used. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different networks, CDMA as well as GSM. But whereas AT&T are GSM. So I went over to the, to the, uh, to the AT&T store and I said, hello, I'd like a SIM card, please, just for a month. And they went, sure. And then interestingly, they, the way that it works with Apple is that you have to sign up through the iPad. So you go into the you know, data, the cellular connectivity part in the iPad. And weirdly, I was in, in America with my UK credit card. I couldn't fill in all the details properly because it only wanted an American credit card. And there was no way around it. And I'm in the store going, surely I can call up someone at AT&T in the back office at your call center and get them to take my you know, valid uh, credit card details, or for a UK credit card over the phone, and the, and the girl was like, "No, I, I don't think we can do that." And I'm thinking, "No, no, you must, you must have somebody you know, back at AT and T Central that can fill in all these details manually." And instead, I had to call up my friend that I knew in America and said, "Please, can you give me your credit card details?" And she gave me her American Express details, and I used her American Express credit card in her name to buy my data for a month, so that I could then have data on my iPad. And how much did that work out for you? Yeah, only like like 20 or 30 dollars. For how much data? Uh, I think it was like, well, what, it's like you get it's like you get here, isn't it? It's like two or three gig. It was mainly just so that I could use Google Maps and use it as a navigation tool so that where we went, I could have a, an up-to-date map of where we were. That's mainly what I, what I did. So what do you recommend this time with my, wi- with, with my Wi-Fi only iPad? Well, that's, this is going to be a problem for you because 3 has a thing called Feel at Home, which I've used a lot. And I think it's about 40 countries. You can just use 
your allowance, no roaming charges, works in America. So you're saying I'd, I'd have to buy a UK, I'd have to buy a three SIM here in the UK and then take it with me. That's what you're saying. But what you'll find is you can't do tethering. So it's not going to get your iPad online. And that's the problem. The only one you can tether with is if you buy a MiFi SIM, because that's the only way you can use it. I went to France last year. I had free roaming on my iPhone on three, but to get data into my laptop, I had to go and buy a specific Wi-Fi SIM, 12 gigabytes of data, one month contract, and that I got to eventually enable in a MiFi that I had of my own. But it's, it's good. Wow. So they do, wow. I went to Finland recently, which was also included in Feel at Home, and I got a text saying, you saved £69. And it was a three-day trip. That was quite good. But even better, um, a friend of mine and David's, Roy Reed, he's been, just been doing some stuff for Top Gear. He's been travelling all over the world. He got yes. a text from three saying that uh, you've saved four thousand pounds, <laughs> <laughs> thanks to feel at home. So you know, if it works, it works really well. I've had dealings with three customer services before, uh, and I've had a, like a thirty-day sim, you know, like a rolling one-month thing, and it was one of the most painful experiences when I decided to, to call and cancel. And the guy was like, "But why? Why are you cancelling?" And I said, "I just want to cancel, please." No, no, you don't want to cancel. And he did everything he could. And after the fifth time, I said, I'm going to swear at you and use rude words unless you count to me now as my prerogative as a consumer to leave your service. And at that point, he then backed down. So I, I fear joining three because I don't think I'll ever be able to leave again. Yeah, I did have to f- basically buy the SIM and then cancel it the same day. <laughs> oh, yeah, because of 30 days notice. <laughs> right. To avoid being billed for more than one month, which was yeah. slightly annoying. And they, they were pretty insistent. And I was just like, I only want it for a month. That's all I want it for. I'm not using it beyond then. You think three customer service is a nightmare. Have you tried dealing with Vodafone customer service recently? Let's, let's hear about it. Do you know what? We, we do not have long enough. It's a podcast <laughs> in its own right. With some of the stuff I've been doing for Rip Off Britain as well. And Vodafone has been coming the bottom of customer satisfaction. Really? By a long way. Seriously, yeah. I always thought it was Orange, EE, and then three, and then... O2 and Vodafone somewhere at the top. Vodafone's got very large and Vodafone is migrating, as I understand, over to a new computer system. Oh yes, how many times has that been used as an excuse for stuff going wrong? If you end up calling a team that is on the wrong computer system, it's, it's just a nightmare. But speaking of Vodafone and roaming, end of last week, Vodafone announced a new uh, inclusive roaming uh, thing because um, obviously here in, in Europe, as of next year, roaming is going to be a thing of the past. And uh, the European Commission has uh, changed the regulations such that the wholesale prices for roaming um, basically have to be free. So it should cost the same for you to download a megabyte of data or to make a minute's worth of calls in the UK as it does in another European Union country. What? When? That's amazing. But that's only within Europe, isn't it? That's only within the European Union, that's right. So that's another reason not to Brexit, is what you're saying. Coming back to Vodafone again, so it's announced some uh, some new bolt-on. Actually, not bolt-ons, inclusive roaming. So just like Feel at Home from 3, Vodafone's now doing that as well, and it's um, a whole host of countries. The thing about 3, and a journalist who you might know, Will, Jonathan Morris, has been writing about this quite extensively. I've been following his updates on it. With 3... It says, yeah, feel at home, but, uh, you know, the service that you get with 3, it is, it can be throttled. Um, you certainly can't do all the things that you can when you're at home. 
Vodafone has made a very active thing saying, well, actually, no, you get full 4G, you get full access, no throttling with us. Because that is the thing about 3 is it's only 3G. There's no 4G on feel at home. With Vodafone, it is 4G. So what, in the UK, 3 don't have any 4G at all? No, 3 has 4G in the UK, but your feel at home, your free roaming doesn't get you any 4G. It's only 3G. And I had a really annoying experience when I was in France because I had a 3G MiFi and I thought, well, I don't need to buy another one. It was an old Vodafone one. It was unlocked. I checked. It would take a any SIM. I got abroad, I put my special SIM, which I'd already cancelled, but I knew worked in the MiFi and went into the APN settings and tried to set it up on basically the French network it was connected to, could not get it to connect, went through everything, lots of hoops, lots of hurdles, googling things on my phone, which obviously had free roaming. Phone 3, tried to get them to help me, but they said, it's an unsupported device, we didn't supply it, we can't help you set it up. I then said, what is a supported device? They said, well, you could buy this data stick, you know, the ones you plug in USB into your laptop. Bought one of those on Amazon France, next day delivery. It got delivered to the house. Annoyingly, we didn't have a key to the um, post box. Oh, no. So back had to go in and get it out with a fly swatter. Got the got the data stick, put the SIM in it, plugged it in, didn't work, phone three again, and they said, so the APN you need for this is 3.co.uk. And it's basically the UK settings. I was trying to be too clever. So if you find you can't connect, just use your UK settings, and that is what will get you connected. Alternatively, Jeff, alternatively, have a look at getting yourself a local SIM when you're out there. I think that's probably the best thing to do if you can, if you can do it and you can go through the hassle of doing it. But then I was looking into yeah. it for France because we're going to France for a month this year. Mm. And oh, wow. There, there aren't, there's not much data on Sims in France. You get like a couple of gig. It does vary from country to country. It really does. But again, that would involve going to AT&T again because only AT&T sell Sims that plug into iPhones. And then uh, I might just suck it and do five pounds a day. Maybe I'll just connect every other day and then pay 60 quid. And that, just, you know, have, it, have a day on, a day off, day on, day off. When I was in France, one thing that worked really well was this thing called Fon, which is mm. BT has yeah. it here. You can sign up for BT yeah. with Fon and then people share their own hotspot. I think I bought for 30 euros a 30 day pass to it. And then now, because I'm not on BT here, I had to go and buy basically a Fon hotspot, which I put in the garden to try and share with everybody out there. And that then gives me free roaming on Fon hotspots. I think it'd be quite fun to see if you could do, do without cellular and just hop from wi-fi to wi-fi safely of course while you're out there so when we were in taiwan david and i did a trip to taiwan recently and that wasn't covered by feel at home it was covered by the vodafone world traveler so that was still five pounds a day they have quite good wi-fi at the um, pedestrian crossings are they have wi-fi hotspots and they have a service called wi-fly and you can buy a subscription to that and that's always an option if you, there's a good wi-fi infrastructure in the country you could just go away with that. When we were there last time, we were driving the interstate. I want to say 80%, and that's no exaggeration, 80% of the interchanges on, on, the, on the interstate uh, have McDonald's, um, e easily the most prevalent chain out there. And every McDonald's has free Wi-Fi. And we found ourselves, anyway, just rocking up, parking in the, in the parking lot outside McDonald's, not going in unless we wanted the toilet, 
uh, getting on the Wi-Fi for 10 minutes and then and then hopping off again. So, yeah, maybe we'll just do lots of Wi-Fi hopping via, via Mr. Ronald and his McDonald. <laughs> Good luck with that, Jeff. Thanks. <laughs> and whereabouts will you be travelling to? At Denver, Yellowstone, Yosemite, oh, wow. California, San Francisco, Al- Alcatraz. Bit of a Wild West adventure. I have form for American road trips. I should tell you about that sometime. So when are you actually out there, Jeff? Basically, it's going to be summer in, in the desert. So it's going to be quite warm. I've driven through Death Valley in a soft-top Beetle with no air conditioning in the height of summer. Oh, no, ouch. There's like a thing where they fry an egg on a car just from the heat of the sun. They've just done that. Yeah. It's, it's a long way. There aren't many gas stations, and a VW Beetle does not have a very big petrol tank. And we had to basically two options. You could wind the windows down, and it felt like someone had a hairdryer on full heat pointed in your face. <laughs> or you could wind them up and just sit there and swelter. But then you come to Vegas, and it's amazing. So, you know, it's worth it in the end. We did the drive from Los Angeles to... Um, yeah, Las Vegas across the Mojave Desert. I, I would have said it was April, so it wasn't wasn't super warm, but it was you know getting warm. We had a soft top. We had the we had the hood hood roof roof down. Hood is somewhere different, isn't it? Trunk whatever. We had the roof down, and we did not realise that when he crossed the desert, it does get a bit hotter. As far as we were concerned, it was nice and cool. It was only when we got into Vegas and we kind of looked at each other properly, and it was like, wow. We're pretty red. We were burnt to a crisp. Yeah, won't make that mistake again. We we wearing a hat. Always wear a hat. No, no, no. Wear a hat. hat. Just 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 wear a hat, David. So, Jeff, I want to talk to you about two weeks ago. You do, yeah. Yeah. So, David and I, we were all set up. We were ready to go. We had a nice chat. We had some warm up. Yeah. We were waiting for you to. Sign in. I feel like I know where the conversation is going. We sent you some updates on Slack. I related to DMs and text messages. And eventually you, you appeared saying you had no phone and you'd been in, been in town being famous. Oh, that's right. Yes. And then my phone had got to say, with, with the last few, I was out being famous. Uh, and then with the last few percent of my phone, I ordered an Uber because I was like, oh, no, let's get an Uber before my phone dies. And then somewhere on the way back, my phone did die. And then it was only when I sort of got home and had a cup of tea and had a shower and I then sort of plugged in. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're meant to be doing a thing like an hour ago. <laughs> so, so, sorry about that. I thought Ubers all had charges in... Addison Lee's do. I'm not sure about Ubers. No, because Uber is just you get the car that the driver drives. Most Uber drivers that I've had drive the Toyota hybrids, don't they? That's the most common car that they drive. I guess it's going to draw all the electricity if you start charging your phone, isn't it? But certainly the Addison Lee's that I've been in recently have usually got power, usually got some 4G Wi-Fi going on in there as well. Really? That's amazing. What? Yeah. There's a Wi-Fi hotspot inside the car. Yeah, it's amazing technology. It's, it's, it's called a MiFi. Well, I have not tried this. I feel like I should need to, I should try this out. Maybe you should take an Addison Lee to America and then <laughs> that's your... It's solved. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jeff, what were you doing in London town that meant you missed the, missed the recording. Oh, you want to talk about the famous thing? Yeah. Yes, please. Because people know me as that guy off YouTube now. And so I, I went to a railway open day, uh, which is, you know, like train mecca. We had a tally, so we counted. My friend Matt was with, with me. And after the third time I got spotted, 
he started making a note. And by the end of the day, it was uh, there was like there had there been seventeen occurrences of someone going, "Excuse me, are you that Jeff of YouTube?" And it just got a bit silly. Yeah, it's weird. I don't consider, I don't consider myself famous. I'm an idiot on YouTube, but apparently, being on YouTube nowadays is enough for people to be like, oh, "You're that guy of YouTube." Never meet your heroes. <laughs> I know, Will. Will, I, I met you and it all went wrong. So moving on from your Just A Go on YouTube... You want, you want to talk about one of the videos yeah. that makes me famous, apparently? Well, I want to talk about the video content because it's, it's controversial. It is controversial. In London, we have a rule. Yes. You stand on the right. When you're on the tube and you get on the escalator, you must stand on the right. Or risk being tutted at. <laughs> oh, man. It's mainly tourists that break the rule, that don't do it. But everybody just knows to stand on the right. And it is infuriating when you go to another country or outside London and you hit an escalator and people are on both sides. You can't get up there. Everyone is just stood stationary on an escalator. No one's walking. Because London's so busy that we need this rule. Anyway, a Holborn tube station in the centre of town, Zone 1, central Piccadilly line, it gets so busy in the morning that you get a lot of congestion at the, at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of people off of two trains arrive at once and there's only three escalators up out of four. Is this not because it's got, is it the second or third longest escalator? It's, yeah, it's not the second, it's either the third or fourth. I'm actually in the middle of making a video on London's longest escalators. Anyway, the theory goes is that when, when you stand on an escalator, you, you bunch up quite close, but when you walk up an escalator, you know, you're not immediately behind someone. It's like when they, on the, on the M25 around London, when they do the variable speed limits. The, the theory is when, when cars travel at 50 miles an hour, you can get more in because you instinctively bunch up closer, safer. So it's the same on the escalator and uh, TfL had a man with a clipboard, one of those little county things, and, and they worked it out and they realised that if people stood on both sides, you know, immediately behind the person in front of them, and, and this is the, the tricky bit, so yes, it takes longer to physically traverse up the escalator, obviously, because you're not walking, but you spend a smaller amount of time waiting to get onto the escalator in the first place. So your overall time waiting plus journey time up the escalator is, is, is quicker. There's nothing worse than people that hang around on the left and then try and cut in to stand on the right. Either oh, commit to yeah, walking yeah. or get, the, get in the queue. But it does seem to defy logic that, that standing on the escalator can make people's overall exit times from the station quicker. It's, it's weird to get your head around and so we made a video about it. But do they still have one escalator where you can walk on? Out of the three escalators going up, two, they're trying to encourage you to stand on both sides, and the third one, you can still walk up the, the left-hand side. So that's a free-for-all, or is that just for, like, hardcore Londoners? And we did time it a few times, and it, it does actually work. It's so weird when you look at the actual people coming off, and I stood there with my own counting device, uh, my iPhone, and I was like, yeah, no, no, the standing, the standing ones, both sides do actually convey more people. So this is a trial, isn't it? This isn't a nailed on thing yet, right? They're trialling it for six months. Uh, if, it, if it works, they want to roll it out at other stations. Where are we talking? Just, just the major, about, I've seen it, I can't, the top of my head I can't remember, there's, but there's a list of seen it, about six or seven stations that get congested, you know. So more confusing arcane rules to annoy tourists. Yeah, but tourists shouldn't be allowed to travel at 8 o'clock in the morning anyway. That should just be reserved for the commuters. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that was it's highly, highly controversial. Yeah, yeah, I could talk about escalators all day, but let's, let's not. Let's talk about something else. David, you were on... You helped out make the 8-bit TV show? What? Oh, gosh. What was the show called? Go 8-bit. Go 8-bit. David, would, would, 
Were you on TV and you didn't tell us? I love watching you on TV. No, 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 no. So, um, lovely pair of people called Steve McNeil and Sam Pamphilon. I know I know Steve from so, for some TV stuff that I've done in the past. They've got a TV series commissioned and it's uh, a celebration of arcade games. An arcade television, arcade games, television, comedy, never really come together before. Obviously a lot of potential there. They got a commission from Dave the home of witty banter. So the show is now called Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit. When I was there, they had Susan Cowman, who I love, she's very funny. It's an hour long of playing video games, being competitive against each other, all the fun and stuff that goes into that. Really good fun. Look out for that this autumn on Dave. Steve does another show called Wi-Fi Wars. How does that work? Is it like Robot Wars? Well, Here's the thing, this is audience participation. So they were doing it at the Royal Institution last year, the place of the Christmas lectures, home of science in so many ways in in England. They've got games that everyone plays. So you take your phone, fully charged, log onto the wireless network, and there are a number of different games that everyone can can, can contribute to playing. It's hilarious. And they had on Friday night, I couldn't go because we couldn't get childcare last minute, unfortunately. Izzy Sooty, a a female comedian who uh, I know very well, um, who was doing the music for it. And that's hopefully going to be something for BBC Radio 4 as well. So I think the time has come for video gaming. We've all known that there's been a huge latent uh, passion around around the whole world for it, but it's never really cut through into mainstream media. Hopefully, with what Steve and what Sam and, and what the team at DLT and Co are doing, that might be something that will happen. And comedy, yeah, it, it seems a natural sort of home, home for it in many ways. Can I just say that Dave is actually one of my default TV channels. Ever since BBC Three went off air, I now have a, instinctively have a little browse to see what Dave are showing. That and UK Gold, they're like my two go-to channels. Oh, following up on our, our chat about BBC Three going online, I spent some time trying out iPlayer. I don't normally use iPlayer, but I was, I was a little bit ill. I was looking for something to watch in the evening. I fired up iPlayer and I could not find a single thing I wanted to watch from a week's worth of BBC output. And is that because there wasn't anything that you wanted to watch? I'm sure there was stuff, but the discovery is terrible. I ended up back on Netflix and found something within minutes. I often end up just on YouTube and YouTube will then just suggest you stuff. And it's like, well, you watch this. Do you want to watch this? I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, great. Thanks very much. You posted the video about what's wrong with Independence Day, the cinema sins. <laughs> I lost two hours after that, Jeff. But, oh, cinema sins is the best. I'd never seen it before. I've now watched, I think. You've watched all of them, haven't you? <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. What's great about cinema sins is they then dissect a movie in five or six minutes and they point out all. Or, and, and I've watched, or, you watch one, I watched one one morning, and it was like everything wrong with Star Wars. Yeah, and before I knew it, it was 11 o'clock, I'm like, where have the last two hours gone? That's exactly what happened to me, two hours later, still watching cinemas, then thinking, just one more. But they're really, into, and they're really good, and they're very funny, yeah. But on one of them, there's a behind the scenes, and they show you how they do it, and, and they show you the guy with this script in the studio, recording it, and they, and they show you how they edit, and they get permission, and they bring it all together. That's one thing I did wonder about permission, because I know, like... Technically, it's fair use using movie clips because they're commenting about the movie specifically. Mm. But I know YouTube does allow people just to pull stuff down. You can use things if you're, if you're critiquing it. Isn't that correct? There's a law. I'm going to ask what may be a dumb question. I feel like one of you is going to go, oh, Jeff, of course you can do that. Obviously, they can scan 
audio, you know, to sort of match audio to, uh, you know, they can go, oh, you're using this song. Are you, are you telling me now that YouTube now have the technology to scan a video and match video? So They can scan video because if you noticed, a lot of people would flip the video round to avoid the content match. Ah. Where you look at a video and go, why is that video backwards? It's because someone's re-uploaded it, flipped it to avoid it getting content matched. The other trick is that someone's posted the percentage, I think it's like 107.1% or something bizarre, which is the speed by which you need to speed something up. There's entire episodes of Family Guy. Just a bit quicker. But they're running at at 107%, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense, actually, because some of the stuff that my kids end up watching on YouTube where it's popular cartoons has been sped up or slowed down. My kids will watch stuff in Spanish. They don't care. No, true. And David, sorry, you, you keep saying things I keep thinking of. You mentioned a, a minute ago about turning up at this uh, place with your phone fully charged. Wi-Fi was. The other day, I was at a railway station, obviously, and I passed a poor homeless guy that was clearly homeless because he had you know cans of drink and his mm. sleeping bag or whatever. And as I passed him, um, he's playing a game on a tablet. <laughs> I'm thinking, where did you charge that tablet? <laughs> right? And I put this on Twitter. And people were like, people like, well, Jeff, he can go into coffee shops or, or, or not. yeah. But I'm thinking, no. But to charge a tablet f- fully from zero to 100 percent—that's several. That's not 10 minutes. That's several hours that you could, that you've got to be set somewhere. What he could be doing is he, he 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 could have a battery. He could charge the leave the battery plugged in, and then he could then be charging his tablet off his battery when he needs to. And then there's no if the battery gets stolen, it's less than a tablet getting stolen. And then, of course, someone said maybe he had a solar charger. Can you get those? They don't work. They don't work. I've got one. They're rubbish. Just get a big battery. Really? Okay. We had a wind-up charger. Remember Trevor Bayliss? Oh, yes. With his wind-up radio. This is back when we had Motorola phones. I had like a V70. And I remember sat there a long time at a campsite winding this thing up just to charge my phone. It's brilliant. Back when I had my Nokia 6810, I was using it in a Starbucks and the barista went, what on earth are you doing? And I explained that I was getting a little bit of charge out of my... It was going, battery about to die. And I wound it and I could send a few text messages. And she went, that's brilliant. Can I use it? And I used it to charge her phone a bit, which was also on on one bar. And I got a free coffee out of it. So, you know, free drink. There was a Kickstarter campaign this time last year for an iPhone case with an integrated wind-up charger. I think charging an iPhone's a lot different. Back in the day, the batteries on things were tiny. They would charge, I think, in a couple of hours. And it would last five or six days. Do you remember, do you remember those days, kids? The battery would almost last a week on your, on your phone. Bet used to think that her, her phone lasted about a month because I used to charge it for her. But because it charged quickly, I would basically... <laughs> I'd see her phone there, I'd pick it up, plug it in for an hour, charge it, unplug it, put it back. And then she'd be talking to people, and people were like, oh, my battery only lasts three days. She'd be like, mine lasts a month. It's only when she told me, I was like, yeah, no, I've been charging it for you. That's, that's why. <laughs> Tell you what I'd like to talk about. I want to talk about mapping on iOS. So, Jeff, you mentioned that you were using your iPad as a map when you were in America. What is your favoured map solution on your iPhone? So there's a really great app called it used to be called Maps with Me. I think it's just now Maps.me, and I believe it's uh, Open Street Maps, and you can download them for offline use. So what I do whenever I travel anywhere is have I download it over Wi-Fi in advance, and it's as good as, if not better, than Google Maps in some places. And does it do directions and all of that kind of thing? Uh, no, but you, it's basically it's a it's a you are here and here's what around you. And you can zoom right in, but you can find you know. 
cash machines, petrol stations, all, all that kind of stuff. But basically, you know, if you've got no data, you can still have um, just using, um, I can't remember the word. What is it? GPS. Thank you. <laughs> so, so it knows where you are. Uh, and so before I go to uh, America in two weeks' time, I will download the entire state maps for Nevada and California and Wyoming and everything so that I've definitely got a map of where I am. Did you know that GPS is now turned on in airplane mode? Is it? I just kind of assumed it always was. That's interesting. Previously, it was turned off, but obviously it's not the same as a radio transmitter. So it's now on. I had some great fun in Finland when I was coming into land. I loaded up TomTom, which has offline maps, and um, I could see my progress as we came into the runway. So maps, maps.me is my, is my go-to offline mapping solution. And how about your day-to-day, your day-to-day mapping needs? Always still Google Maps. You're still a Google Maps fan. Well, no, I once, I, I did try Apple Maps. I, I think once I thought I found that Apple Maps was better for road directions, but Google Maps better for sort of cycling, walking, transit, that kind of thing. But if you just if you just want an overview of where you are in the world, I would still use Google Maps over Apple Maps because Apple Maps are still lame. And Will, I can remember a, a quote from you that you said to me, Many years ago now. How come I've known you many years? That's weird. When did Apple Maps come out? With iOS 6, right? Which would have been like 2012? And you said to me, you went, yeah, Apple Maps is not very good, but if I know Apple, knowing Apple as I do, <laughs> they'll, they'll work at it until they polish it and they get it right. And they've never done that. It's still it now as it was when it came out four years ago. And you can actually quote, and you can, and you can quote me on that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I would disagree with you strongly there, Jeff. <laughs> I agree it was it, it was terrible when it launched mm. and there was like a month before Google released its own Google Maps app that did catch up a lot but I've been using Apple Maps exclusively since I got my Apple Watch because I like to have the directions and notifications on my watch I find that's a much better way to use mapping in terms of navigating around streets without like looking at your phone and screaming mug me and it's, it's so much better than it used to be. So much better. But I think the problem is a lot of people won't try it now because it's had that reputation yeah. of being awful. And I've actually t- I've taken Google Maps off my phone now. What? You've, re- you've removed it from your phone? I had to remove it because all of the apps were set going by default to Google Maps when I wanted it in Apple Maps. And the only way to override that was to remove Google Maps entirely from my phone. Okay, but when it first came out, people were like, there's some data wrong. You know, or people focused on the fact that the, the 3D maps, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the 3D visuals, you know, they were, they were like bridges collapsing and things warping and distorting. But for me, the two essential problems were, one, the, the data, the business data was all wrong. You know, businesses, you know, your local pizza shop or something was in the wrong place or there'd be duplicates or two. Because Google's maps look nicer in terms of, you know, white for small roads, yellow, you know, for A roads and, and green for B roads. Right? That's what Apple still don't do. And I can give you I can give you many examples where if you just gl- if you if you glance at an Apple map compared to a Google map, you still can't tell where you are on an Apple map. You need to look at the Google map to go, oh, I see where I am. Their roads are white, not yellow. You can't see where you are. You don't get a sense of where you are when you're like me and you grew up looking at a geographer's A to Z atlas of London. Right. When you look at Google, you get that same experience. Jeff, listen to this. If, you're, if you use transit directions, it will tell you where to change on the tube. No, it will say, change it off no, Oxford no. Circus after Warren Street. No. You'll get to there. It'll tell you which line to change onto. 
Yes, but because I am transport guru extraordinaire, extraordinaire, no app is able to actually come up with something that I haven't already thought of. And I continually find myself beating CityMapper. The other day, CityMapper told me it was going to take 77 minutes to get to get home. And when I got home in 57 minutes, I was like, take that CityMapper, 20 minutes faster. Is that because you took an Uber? No, I got, the t I got a train and a bus combination that CityMapper did not come up with. In your face, CityMapper. And I'm looking at it going, really? No, 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 that's not the quickest way, CityMapper. And I beat it. But CityMapper is, is better than Google Maps or Apple Maps. And I think if I'm traveling around London or any major city, I won't go to Google Maps or Apple Maps for my transit directions. How about for your general navigation? Are you a Google Maps? Are you an Apple Maps? When I'm driving, I use Waze. Social sat-nav. Which, is, I mean, Waze, I know Waze is owned by Google as of a couple of years ago now, I suppose. But um, I find the user interface just works very well. It's a, probably a little bit more, a little bit more simplified. I like the fact that it is crowd-sourced traffic, and I find it's, um, I find it a better experience than using Apple Maps or um, or Google Maps when I'm in the car. I was a big Waze fan. I used Waze a long time ago, back in kind of 2009, 2010. But then I reviewed TomTom. Hmm for a magazine yeah. so obviously i got it for free it was an expensive app but i got it for free as a review copy and so i switched ex exclusively to that but i still paid for the traffic because the traffic info on TomTom was far superior even to waze's because it incorporates more data sources i then bought the european version because i needed that for traveling abroad and again the great thing about that is it's offline but i can understand that people weren't prepared to pay 40 30 to 40 quid for a a mapping app, but there's a new TomTom app, which is TomTom Go. What that does is it offers you all of the full, to I mean, to be fair, the TomTom apps did look tired. They look like iOS 6 apps. The new version, it's been reskinned. It looks nice. It fits the look of kind of iOS 9, but they give you the full um, HD traffic. They give you the speed cameras, it now does average speed as well. It will tell you when you're in an average speed zone what your average speed is, which is quite useful. You'll get basically 50 miles a month for free. Okay, that's their business model, right. So you basically can try it out, use it as much as you like. Once you hit that 50 mile, it will take away things like the speed cameras. It will take away the traffic. Because I had the existing version, I got a free upgrade for three-year free upgrade to the full service. Going back to the original TomTom, you had to have a little cradle, didn't you, that had a decent GPS antenna in it for it? You did, yeah, because the old, because this one, this old original iPhone, no GPS. Will, just in the last 30 seconds while you've been gassing, I just had a quick look at Apple Maps versus Google Maps on my phone, and it's Apple Maps just misses details, it just gets things wrong. The other day, I was walking in, I was in Wimbledon, and the Apple Maps showed me a path which um, didn't exist. It's just, it's still very badly wrong. Maybe it did exist. Maybe if you trusted it, you would have found a shortcut. No, it wasn't there. I looked for it, and it wasn't there. It, the, it, the Apple Maps are still terrible four years on. I'm sticking with Apple Maps. Why are we friends? You're <laughs> weird. <laughs> this is all wrong. David had something about cheap cables. False economy. When will you learn? Tell us about your cables. I had to buy a display port to HDMI adapter. Oh, yes. They don't work. <laughs> the cheap ones don't work. It's ridiculous, the fact they even get away with selling them. Well, so, so, so look, here's the thing. 
it actually did work, but I think it'll work for approximately a week. What it is, is that obviously you've got, I've, I could dig it out of the drawer, but I'll spare you, spare you the bore of that. It's got the HDMI sort of plug at the end, and then the cable goes in. There's no connection between the cable and the plug, so you can twist the cable around. And it's like, I know that if I pull this out by the cable, the plug's going to stay in there, and there's going to be some bare wires left at the end of it. I think that is basic stuff. So while it does work, it was like seven quid. You know, it's like, oh, seven quid, I can't be bothered. However, I have still got a link in my inbox, because rarely for Amazon, they send out a, hey, would you like to review what we sent you? So I will be giving some feedback on that. Have you ever heard of a product called Sugru, David? Da, 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 da. You actually have some to hand. Fix that thing. You didn't actually say what Sugru was, David. So if, 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 if people are listening slash watching and they're thinking... Maybe we should cover what you can do with Sugru. What the heck is Sugru? Sugru, um, imagine kind of... Imagine plasticine. I guess a kind of rubbery plasticine thing that sticks together and lets you fix things. It is useful for fixing all kinds of things. And it dries, it dries like a kind of thick, sticky glue and it becomes rubbery and it's just useful as a dad and I have to fix a lot of things in this house and super glue can only get you so far. No more nails, always a good one. Sugru will get me the rest of the way. In our world it's good for, for uh, preventing cables from fraying that have started to fray, from, from fraying further, is that correct? Yes, exactly. It can g- give, you a, give you another few months out of a cable that might otherwise, because cables need that flexibility I suppose you know, on a serious point. They're going to get a bit of this here, the old Sugru treatment. But actually, speaking of cheap cables, I went into uh, Poundland. I don't go into Poundland. I was there with a friend um, and they had some one pound iPhone lightning cables. And I thought, you know what, for a pound? Yeah, they, they always break. And they lasted exactly three months. For the first three months, I was like, this is like bargain of the year, man. I'm going to buy all my cables from Poundland. Silavi, but kind, you know, if I need to buy three of those a year from Poundland, that's probably not that bad a deal. I went into Poundland to buy some more. Sold out. Haven't been able to find any since. My hot tip. Do you want my hot tip on this? Hot tip. Go to sevendayshop.com, who sell lightning cables for about for about six or seven quid plus plus PMP, and they kind of they feel thicker and more chunkier. And I've had one for two months, and it has shown. Shows no sign of fraying or breaking down. That's sevendayshop.com, and I st- stumbled across them by accident, and I think they're really good. And how much is your commission? No, not nothing, not at all. This is a completely. It kind of. Po- I must have been searching for cables, you know. And, and then Amazon did that thing that you get a pop-up advert on on the side, and I, and it was like, come to Seven Day Shop, and I thought, all right, I will for six ninety nine. Can't go wrong. Links to all of these things are in the show notes, aren't they? And we will be monetizing those links, including links to Sugru. Fix that thing. I've not really had a problem with iPhone lightning cables. I've, I've managed to not break any of those so far. Mm. The thing that I have a problem with is HDMI cables. Really? How, how often do you plug HDMIs in and out for that to be a thing? I've now decided the only HDMI cable I'm going to buy is the Apple one, which costs £15, but has two, two things going for it. One, it's really thin. So it doesn't have that kind of weightiness. You feel it's going to be pulling on the port. But so I've been plugging my camera. I've currently got my camera HDMI out into a Thunderbolt box. Then you're now seeing my video through WebEx. 
trying to get that to work with just a random HDMI cable. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes HDCP cuts in, sometimes it doesn't. It's one of those kind of... It's so frustrating because the Thunderbolt box, it's a black magic one. Again, you're not sure, is it the box that's not working? Is it the settings for the box that isn't working? Shall I plug another source in? And basically replacing the HDMI with something like the Apple cable... No problems at all. Works all the time. So that's my, my tip. Don't buy cheap HDMI cables if you're using them professionally. But then you can spend hundreds of pounds on cables. Oh, you can. For no perceivable difference. Oh, no. Absolutely no actual benefit. But I think there's like a level. I think there's a floor. And it seems to be, mm. for me, the £15 Apple level. Also, Apple's not going to sell you a cable that doesn't work. So it's going to be of a decent quality and a good enough quality to not have problems. And it's got a nice bit of design to it as well. Which so is very important. It's very important. It's not pulling on the camera, it's not pulling on the box. You should send us a photo of your setup. I can take a picture now if you want. Yeah. A live photo. There you go. For the benefit of anybody listening, not watching, Will is currently holding up his phone to... Uh, there we go. <laughs> oh, did that have your battery pack on? Your ridiculous battery pack? Well, if you'd had one of these, Jeff, you would not have run... Yeah. Your phone would not have run out yeah. and you yeah. would not be getting right. messages when there you get go. home. We've come full circle. End of Fraculous. If your puny human minds can handle more, then follow on Twitter. At sign F R A C K U L O U S or individually at sign David McClelland D A V I D M C C L E L L A N D at sign Jeff Tech G E O F F T E C H at sign Will Head W I L L H E A D Email your brains to hello at sign fraculous.com Don't E U want me baby? Don't you want me? Oh 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 So you've not watched the edit yet, Def? I started downloading it and then I ate my tea instead. I've watched it, not all of it. I got about uh, three quarters of the way through on Friday afternoon and then had to go and do stuff. But no, it looks good. Looks good. I would listen to it, I would watch it. How long did you spend editing it, Will? Would you want me to tell you? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. According to my hours logging, <laughs> uh, let's have a look. So I spent. Why do you have that kind of information logged? I've started logging stuff. I did 13 hours one week. I did... On what? On, on this? Yeah. I then did half an hour in the week when I was very ill. And then I did... Oh, back. Another 14 hours on it. <laughs> but I think I can get it down to about 12 hours. Then I expect it to be really good when I watch it. Yeah, it should be. 